0: To uh, Ephesians chapter four, um, we've done a bit of singing this morning. I hope you're okay with that sort of, you know, a bit of. It's a bit of a, it's a what do you call it? A bit of license from me, I guess. In my last couple of weeks, thought I'd do five songs, just to make, so, just so I can enjoy those things. I do love it. It's great. It's so encouraging. Um, next week, the band, the band's been saying. Um, Let's do six songs, six songs. So I've been racking my brains, but how are we going to do six songs? We start early, I don't know. Anyway, I'm going to leave that with you. So, you know, just build yourself up for it. Practice in the shower this week. You might need some extra sort of lung capacity, I don't know. And did I miss, did Beck and I miss the memo? Is there something wrong with the first two rows here? What do you reckon? Is there something you said, Beck? I don't know. Um, Okay, so Colossians chapter, no, Ephesians chapter four. I Colossians open in front of me, that's no good. Uh, Radio, And there's an outline also in your um, bulletins, grab that please And welcome if you're watching at home If you missed church today, catch up on, um, on YouTube as some people might be doing We're going to have a Q&A at the end as well So if you want to write a few things down, jot a note down or two And then make a comment or ask a question uh, Please do at the end, let's, um, let's pray shall we Father we do thank you for your word We thank you for the gift that church is uh, we do pray that you would um, help us to put your words into practice today, help us to hear them, and for some of us might need a bit of, um, a, a bit of help easing with any distractions that we've got going in our minds. Um, for the next 20 or so minutes, help us, Lord, to focus on, on what you have to say to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we do know from the last few weeks, don't we, that church is important. If you haven't been here... Um, then uh, you, you maybe you watched it on YouTube or something. You would have caught up with that. Church is important. And God wants his church to display in the spiritual realms the triumphant wisdom of his character and plan of salvation, revealed and accomplished in the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And this happens as his earthly congregations continue gathering people from all nations under the rule of Christ, sharing in his holiness. All churches, therefore, all churches, therefore, should be trying to grow in number and in holiness. Growth glorifies God. But what does God want us to do to get growth in our churches? A little while back, um, uh, a neighbouring youth ministry, when I was a youth pastor down the coast, um, A neighbouring youth ministry, in an effort to grow their church, would give their students, uh, give students a can of Coke if they brought a friend. Uh, No friend, no Coke. By the end of the term, the the student who had uh, brought the most friends, no joke, got an Xbox. Wrong on so many levels. And I'm pleased you're giggling, although it's not really funny, is it? Uh, How do we make churches grow? That's not how we do it. Not how we do at all. Is there, a, uh, is there a Church Growth 101 handbook, as I've called this sort of sermon today? Uh, some church growth books and websites and so on, what they'll do is they'll answer that question with, uh, they'll say, well, you've got to have compelling vision statements. You need to have inspiring leadership. You need to have committed membership, flexible structures. It starts to sound a bit more and more like a business rather than a church, so what must we do to ensure the spiritual expansion of our church by numerical growth and the growth of his people in holiness? Because the two have got to go together. Should we just import strategies from the, that, that have worked in the megachurches? Uh, well, not necessarily. We need to ask, what are God's strategies for church growth? And are there biblical principles? So the answer is, yes, there are. Um, turn that on there. Sorry, brother, it's not working. should have tested it before. One second. There we go. There's my little cute little picture. Um, yes, there are, we find them in his word. Are there principles? Yes. A God's Church Growth 101 Handbook, and it's here in Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, Paul outlines the fundamental principles of how God grows churches in all times and in all places. Now, let's just put um, this con- the context of the whole letter uh, we'll put, put this passage in the context of the whole letter, first of all. A bit of an update of where we've gone and where we've been in our series on Ephesians. Ephesians is like a good game of rugby league. Um, it's a game of two halves, uh, as they say. So chapters 1 to 3 have celebrated God's eternal plan, that is to gather all things in heaven and earth together under Christ. So that's chapter 1, uh, through the death and resurrection of Jesus, which reconciles us to God and each other. That's chapter 2. And this demonstrates the triumphant wisdom of God and his gospel in the spiritual realms in the church. And that was chapter three. You got that? That's sort of where we're up to right now. Now, in chapters four to six, that's the second half, Paul is explaining how his readers must live a life, uh, live li- must live as a church committed to the gathering people under Christ, committed to gathering people under Christ. So, uh, Paul outlines three basic ingredients. For church growth, and you can see them in your outline on verses one to sixteen. Their ingredients or their principles for every church in every context. Here's the first one, or you can see them there: maintain unity, uh, be ministers, grow in maturity. So, in other words, I, I, I stole this little cool little um, uh, little saying. But unity—this is our big idea today. If you want to walk away with anything, walk away with this. Write it down if you need to. Uh, unity in ministry for maturity. That's what we're doing. Unity and ministry for maturity. Okay, first then, maintaining unity. Paul's concern is for the local church to reflect the unity we have been given in the heavenly church. So it's a bit of a carry-on from last week, isn't it? Have a look at verses um, 1 to 3, Ephesians 4. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Be patient bearing with one another in love, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So the apostle is concerned with the relational unity in the gospel, in the local church. So it's not between churches here. Uh, This is about the gathering that meets every Sunday or whatever time they meet. It's not between parachurch organisations or anything like that. The focus here is on the local, bog standard, local church church. Three attitudes are crucial for accomplishing this unity. You see them there. And then after that, there's actually seven wonderful motivations to pursue it, we we'll see as well. But here's the, the three, uh, uh, three attitudes to encourage unity. There's be humble. So this means restraining our sense of entitlement to be the focus of, the, of other, person, other, other people's care and attention. And by submitting ourselves to others with respect so that we can promote their best interests. That's quite a long definition of humility. Uh, I really like C.S. Lewis. I've I remembered this for years. Um, C.S. Lewis once said that humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. <laughs> Get it? I'll, I'll read it again. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. Good, isn't it? That's humility. Okay. Next one. Next uh, attitude to encourage unity in the local church. So be gentle. This doesn't mean you're weak or you're a doormat and everyone walks over the top of you. Uh, it means kindness rather than roughness. It means empathy rather than demands. It means soft encouragement rather than bullying people to do it my way. It's gentleness. Third one's patience. Be patient which means forgiving the faults of others and being slow in seeking to correct and rebuke them. Knowing that spiritual growth takes time and, hey, we're all a work in progress, aren't we? So that's patience. Love, you can see in the second half of that verse, love sums up such an attitude. So here's, here's a definition of love that I'll keep on coming back to. I heard it in a sermon uh, a long time ago. I haven't got it on the screen, so you've got to be good to write it down if you want to. But love is the desire which leads to action for the good of another, even at cost to yourself. Do you see how how those three uh, attitudes, humbleness, gentleness, and patience, fit in that definition? Love is the desire which leads to action for the good of another, even at cost to yourself. So that's, 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 uh, I think, a pretty good definition of love. So these attitudes, uh, humility, gentleness, and patience the type of love which is exemplified at the cross, what they, these three things, they actually clash with the world around us. They, they clash with attitudes of our world today. Growing to be more like Jesus, who is perfectly humble, gentle and patient, will clash with worldly attitudes of my rights, of my opinions matter more. Of aggressive, selfish ambition, and even things like the sacredness of family and family time, these godly attitudes will clash with that as we gather together for church. So, here's some some more practical tips. Rod, um, uh, sorry, uh, Ross said that, that we're going to get practical today. Um, it's true. So, maybe in our conversations, we could try to ask humbly after other people's triumphs and troubles before telling them about our own. Before church, we could resolve to gently allow others to have the first say and the last word. And we could rejoice patiently in seeing others welcomed and cared for instead of asserting our own needs. Now, although that doesn't mean we are slow to welcome others. Don't sit back and wait for everyone else to do it. And when tension arises, and it will, tension arises in any family, doesn't it? And here's a family, God's family. So rather than stirring things up, with loud opinions and gossip or aggression, we are to prayerfully to encourage and help each other to listen humbly, to speak with gentleness and forgive patiently. Now I mentioned before there are some motivations to do this, right? Well, God has given us a very special unity in Christ, unlike anything else in society. This is unlike anything else, you might have noticed in Robertson, but it's unlike anything else in all of society, the Christian church. And that ought to provide plenty of motivation. But in verses 4 to 6, we see that God gives some more motivations uh, to, to live out these three attitudes and maintain unity. So it's verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you are called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Notice there's a bit of a... Um, Put our theological hats on for a minute. There's a Trinitarian structure. You notice it? It's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So one Spirit has called us into the one body of the church through the one hope of eternal life in the gospel. What about Jesus? Well, one Lord Jesus is proclaimed in the gospel, in the gospel faith of Scripture, symbolized in our shared baptism in the Holy Spirit, when we become Christians which is what water baptism symbolizes. We'll talk more about that next week. And one God and Father is the origin, ruler, and sustaining presence of everything and everyone everywhere. You know, it's the last little section there, the verse, in verse 6, he is over all, through all, and in all. And there's our motivations to live this way. So Paul explains, since God himself is a unity of persons who are equal but different, Father, Son, Holy Spirit and ordered by love for each other. In other words, Paul says, well, every church he gathers under Christ is to be a unity of different persons, us. Equal, yes, but different, yes, and ordered, the way we get along, that's our order, right, uh, is is sacrificially loving and serving each other. You could say uh, that the local church is a bit like a, a symphony orchestra, Picture that in your mind for a moment. So all the different musicians skillfully combining their talents to make beautiful music, right? Uh, but imagine if, say, the string section over here becomes competitive and starts showing off. You know, they start to play a bit faster, and, and faster than everyone else. And so the brass section, well, they're over here they get a bit aggressive. Now, trumpet players can do that. Um, and uh, <laughs> they start to play a bit louder. And they, well, they totally dominate. Very loud. And, and we, you can't hear anyone else. But then the wind section gets so upset with all this conflict that they stop playing entirely. They just put their bows down. They've had enough. And the percussion section, well, they get so cranky, they start throwing their drumsticks at everyone, um, the rest of the orchestra. Their music then would sound awful, wouldn't it? It would sound awful. And the, the conductor would have to rebuke them and the audience would leave in a flash. Truth is, this is what often happens. I don't think it often happens in orchestras. Maybe it does. I don't know, I haven't played enough of them. But it does sometimes happen in churches. Too often God's people have been characterised by self centeredness sharp tongues and a desire for conflict. So People leave. And they never return. Or others just stay well clear. And what's for sure is that God has not been glorified in the heavenly realms. A quarrelling orchestra would surely be told something like this. So here's the um, conductor. He says, stop all this fighting and arguing. You're incredibly privileged to have been chosen and assembled in this orchestra to play Mozart's beautiful music. Now, play nicely. There's the conductor. And likewise, see, God wants us, God wants to remind us through the the Apostle Paul, stop arguing. You're incredibly privileged uh, to to have been chosen and gathered into your local church to cooperate in God's stunningly beautiful plan to gather people under Christ. So be humble, be gentle, be patient, play nicely. Okay, let's look at this um, second principle of church growth be ministers. Verse 7, but to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. Every single believer in Christ has been given some grace. But this is not the grace we often talk about in church, as in uh, the grace of God uh, of Christ dying for us on the cross, on the cross, <coughs> excuse me. it's his grace in giving us, Gifts of ministry, uh, service. Ministry and service, it's actually the same word. It, it uh, means the same thing. Ministry of service as Christ has distributed them amongst his people. That's the, that's the grace that God has given us here, that's being referred to here. So these gifts of ministry, these grace gifts, you, you certainly use that term, these gifts of ministry are not for our own personal satisfaction or reputation. They are to enrich the life of the church. They are ways to serve God's church family. We all have something to contribute, each of us. We all need the ministry of others, and none of us have all the gifts. And they are gifts, so there's no room for superiority or pride. There's no room for envy, uh, as Christ has apportioned the gifts. He's given them. Diversity of gifts is something to be thankful for and to celebrate. So whether we're on the morning tea roster, uh, whether we're cleaning bathrooms, whether we're helping with admin, whether we're vacuuming, whether we're leading services, whether leading a Bible study, speaking from up front. The Apostle Paul's emphasis here is on where these gifts of ministry have come from. Now this is why Paul follows up with this great truth of Ephesians 4 verse 7 by quoting Psalm 68. I hope you get your Bibles open, but just in case anyway, I've got it up on the screen. It's a bit of a, look, it's a bit of a tricky verse. Uh, But Paul is, if you just get the big picture, that's important. But Paul is simply emphasizing that the risen Christ has not only saved us, but has entrusted each of us with gifts for our church. So when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. The the psalm, originally Psalm 68, originally celebrated the the victory of God in rescuing Israel from Egypt and then giving his redeemed people back to the world. Paul recognises that this psalm looked forward to the victory of Christ on the cross or Christ ascending into heaven, see the verse 10, and, and after descending into this world to die for us, verse 9. And in then giving us all back as gifts to his churches. So we don't just have God's gifts, we are God's gifts to his church. You see that? We don't just have gifts that we're meant to use, but we are God's gifts to his church, and Jesus has made that, Jesus has made that possible. So our church is not there just to bless me as if I'm a a shopper filling my basket like a consumer at Coles, the opposite is true. Believers um, Believers are saved and are given to our churches as gifts to bless others by serving them. You see, we're not meant to be consumers, we're meant to be contributors. Gifts, we're all gifts to God's church. How can we do that? Well, stay with me, I know this a lot, but in verse 11, uh, you have to look at in your Bibles. So Christ himself gave, that the so is important, so Christ himself gave apostles, prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. So God has given us, given his church, different types of Bible teachers to equip the church for works of service and so build up the church. Now I think apostles here who were appointed by Jesus and were empowered by the Spirit to write um, our New Testaments. There's the apostles. We don't have apostles anymore. There were 12 of those. They wrote the, whole, they wrote the, the New Testament and we now pick up the Bibles and read. Uh, now, my thinking here is that prophets refer to those who speak the word of God in gospel conversations. Um, I think 1 Corinthians 14 is our place to go to, a bit, to think more deeply about this. But that, that's sharing our testimonies up front. Uh, sharing the word of God with our friends, I think that's a form of, a, a form of prophecy. It's not a predictive thing anymore, since Jesus has come, uh, but it's a, a form of sharing the word of God and teaching in that respect. But he's also given us evangelists and teachers and pastors to clearly present the gospel to believers and unbelievers. So, but, well, well, but we're not just receivers. We don't just sit back and, and just listen. Go back to that verse again. You see, where to be equipped for works of service. That's the point of the people teaching. That's the point of the, of the evangelists, pastors and teachers, apostles and prophets, so that we, be, we are equipped for works of service. Right now you're being equipped for works of service in the church so that the church can be built up and so that God can be glorified. So all of us have ministries, ways to serve, and we're all ministers and we're all being equipped by our Bible teachers for our particular church growth ministries. You get that? This means that our church uh, needs us all to get involved and not leave the ministry or service to just a few people. Richard Cokin, he's a um, uh, London-based pastor and writer. Um, He's written a number of really good books, great book on the Lord's Prayer, by the way, uh, called Our Father in Heaven. But he's also written a really good little commentary um, called Ephesians for You uh, on um, Ephesians. And he illustrates this really well. In fact, I've uh, I've seen this a number of years ago, but he writes that churches can be like a soccer match. So picture your soccer match. Uh, Let's just go with 22,000 spectators, desperately in need of some exercise, and then 22 players desperately need of a break. That's what church is like, right? Indeed, if we compare Sunday church to a football match, many people think of church as like a crowd of spectators, the congregation, gathering to watch expensive professional players, the pastors, um, playing the game, doing their ministry of preaching, leading meetings, and so on. But Paul says the Bible, that Bible teachers are given by Jesus to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. You see, it's the works of service, ministry of God's people in the congregation that builds up the church in unity and maturity. You notice that? It's the works of service that builds up the congregation after, as they hear the word being taught. It's not just the Bible teachers who do ministry, in other words. The whole congregation are the ministers that Jesus employs to build his church. So think of yourself as a minister. You ought to. You're meant to. Now back to and soccer analogy. He's got a cool diagram. I hope it worked. Let's see what happens. That's um, yeah, pretty good. Okay, good. I was hoping the tabs didn't go everywhere and all that sort of thing. So have a good look at that for a moment um, as I sort of think, speak through it. So, if our church was a soccer club, now Koken labels his church, his little diagram, Church United FC, which I thought was rather cute. We could go with Robo Church United FC, that just sounds a bit lame. Anyway, um, but you know what I mean. So, here's the, the players on the pitch the players on the pitch would be the congregation. Uh, their Bible teachers are the player coaches, training them to play the game of loving God, loving the community. Uh, and um, loving each other, working as a team against the spiritual traps in this world. So the spectators, where well you can see on the outside, right? The spectators are wa- the watching world. They're the unbelieving friends, the local community, work, schoolmates. They're the ones watching on. Now, if we think about this, sort of uh, immerse ourselves, and I did like the little spotlights thing. That's God's Spirit enlightens God's people through God's Word. Shining down on us. I like that too. That's cool. Uh, And the teams are the congregations trained by the Bible teachers in their ministries. So, if we think about this, that affects the profoundly, actually, affects the way we do church, right? The, The Bible teachers are not the only ministers. They train the congregation in ministry, and all this means our ministry teams well, if that's true, all this means our ministry teams should be huge. As, uh, as Koken writes, and I've got this up on the screen as well, I have to remove that, sorry. Um, he writes, uh, all churches should be training churches and all our members ministers because that is how Jesus builds his church. Okay, let's do this last little section quickly and then and we'll see if we've got any time for, well, we will have time, we'll see if we've got any questions and comments. But growing maturity, this is our last um, uh, ingredient, you could say, of, um, of growing churches. Jesus doesn't want our churches just to be united in diversity and busy with ministry. He wants us to grow in maturity in Christ-likeness. He uses three similar sort of phrases to describe this goal in verse 13. Have a look at verse 13. Uh, unity in the faith is the first one. That is the shared and true understanding of God revealed in Christ as He is revealed in the Bible. So maturity is about growing together in our understanding of God's Word, having our Bibles open, uh, growing in our understanding of the Scriptures, because as we grow in our understanding of the Scriptures, we grow in our love for God. In fact, I reckon that's a guarantee. I guarantee it. You read your Bible and you grow in your understanding of God's Word, you grow to love God more and more. Uh, maturity is about growing together, understanding God in His... Um, uh, understanding in our, in, our, in our understanding of God and his word. Uh, you've got to ask, are you doing that? Yeah. Are, are, you, are you growing in God's word? Give yourself the chance to do it by reading his word and gathering together with other people to read his word. We're not meant to be a stagnated pool of muddy water. We're meant to be changing, growing in our understanding and trust of God's word. But God's church should never sort of stay the same in that respect. We're meant to be growing and maturing. We're meant to be changing, to be more like Jesus. That sort of leads us to the next little point here about in verse 13 about being mature. We're, we're not meant not to remain childishly undeveloped, like a grown man carrying around a teddy bear right from from his, his younger days. Um, or like, like a spiritual Peter Pan. I think this is right, isn't it? Wasn't Peter Pan the one who wanted to forever remain a boy? That's Peter Pan and never grow up. That's not us. Don't be like that person. Instead, Paul says, grow up. Grow up in our understanding of God's word. It doesn't mean we're all going to become theological giants and academics. That's not the way it is. But it does mean wanting to wrestle with grown-up questions about the application of scripture. Really important as as we mature in our understanding. Don't be the person who just sits back and says, ah, it doesn't matter that much. No, no, no. Wrestle with those things. Have confidence in God's word Wrestle with them. That's how we grow up. We wrestle with the grown-up questions about the application of Scripture as we mature in our understanding, to aspire then to teach the faith to others in our family and church. That's something we don't talk about very much, and I wish, wish we did more. Um, but but we, all should be, we all should aspire to influence others in our faith, and that means we all should aspire to be some sort of teacher in our faith. Absolutely, aspire to do that as you wrestle with those grown-up questions, as you grow up uh, in your understanding of Scripture. And so Paul shows us next what kind of church this will create. Uh, It's that phrase, the fullness of Christ. So look at the end of verse 13. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Uh, Waves will come. Uh, Tough times will come. But also winds of different teaching will come. Dodgy teaching will come. You'll hear about it and people will be affected by it. Uh, If we are growing up into the fullness of Christ, growing up in our understanding of God's word, then we'll we'll, we'll be not tossed back and forth by those winds and by those storms. We'll be able to stay firm and strong in God's promises. And so... Continuing on, we need to grow up so that, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. See friends, the church is, well, (laughs) the church is a team. It's a team game. It is indeed life together. Why I chose this title, Life Together. And no, I clearly this hasn't worked today. One more slide, thanks, Rod. Um, it's a team game, it is life together. So don't be a spectator uh, or a consumer. Play and play nicely. <laughs> uh, get involved and served. And so let's maintain our unity. Let's be ministers and let's grow in our maturity. Because this is how God gathers his church under Christ to display the, his triumph in the heavenly realms. Let's pray, and then we'll see if you've got any questions or comments. Father, we do uh, thank you for your word to us today. Lord, we pray that we, um, we won't just walk out and not be affected. We pray that we'd respond. We pray that we'd think and talk and pray about how we can be ministers how we can serve each other and so build up your church. Uh, we, uh, we ask, Lord, that you would, uh, as we'll read soon in Ephesians 6, we, you'd fill us with your spirit as we do that. Uh, help us to know your word more and more and grow in maturity in Christ. Uh, Lord, we thank you for church. We thank you for the, the privilege it is to be here and the importance it is to. So um, Lord, help us to put your words into practice. In Jesus' name, amen.